morning, church. Please uh, turn your Bibles with me to the uh, book of Philippians. We're going to be looking at chapter number two and um, would read from verse one to verse four. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of, the, of, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you Look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, God, thank you for the reading of your word. Even as we come before you this morning, we ask, Lord Father, that you use this word just to speak to us. Help us, O Lord God, for just not to be ignorant in any way. Help our minds, O Lord God, Father, that are prone to wandering, that be able to just focus and be able to, to listen to you, O God, um, even as you speak to us through this word. And I ask, Lord, Father, even also for your assistance, even as I do this. In Jesus' name, amen. So it is really a joy for me to be bringing you this word this morning. And... Um, we, we always, you know, remember, obviously, this church, this site, and that's why I brought some friends also that, you know, come and they want to visit and actually see, you know, the church in Rustenburg, and it's always, you know, good just coming here, and yeah. So now, um, looking at this passage that we just read from, these verses that we read from chapter number two, verse one through four, these are verses that are actually a continuation of what Paul started in chapter number 1, verse 27 uh, to 30, where he was talking about unity um, when writing to this church in Philippi. Chapter 1, when you look from verse 1 to verse 26, Paul tells them about himself. He's, taking, he's writing this letter telling them about himself. He tells them about his affairs. So when he gets to chapter number 1, verse 27, he sort of like, you know, sort of changes the gears. He was writing this letter from prison um, and where he was awaiting trial there in Rome. And he was with a man called Epaphroditus who was sent from Philippi to minister to Paul's needs and to actually give Paul the gifts that were sent from the church in Philippi. Epaphroditus must have obviously shared with Paul the things that were going on in the church back at home. He must have given Paul the update of how people were doing in the church and now, in this letter, Paul writes to respond to the gifts that he has received from the Philippians. He also writes, taking this opportunity to also address some of the issues that might have been reported to him by this man, Epaphroditus. Paul, being the loving apostle, 
You could not have just, you know, taken the gift and just sit knowing that there are issues on the other side. He actually just goes into saying, you know what, I'm happy, I'm glad, I pray for you, all is good. But I know there are certain issues that you are dealing with. And I want you to actually just, you know, deal with those issues. And he addresses these issues in this letter. He was really concerned about their disunity. There were some disagreements, conflicts, discord that was going on between some of the members in the church. And we see this throughout the letter. To pick up that these, these problems that are there, when you go throughout the letter, you can actually just pick up some hints as Paul writes to actually just address these issues. Starting from that chapter number 1, verse 27, he tells them and he calls them to unity by just calling straight, I want you to actually just be unified as a body. When it gets to number two, the passage that we're going to be looking at, it calls them to unity, it says, through humility. Chapter number two, verse 14, he addresses their attitudes towards one another, the, the grumbling and the disputing that they were having amongst them. Chapter number four, verse two to three, it, di it directly addresses two individuals who had open disagreements with each other. Their disunity and conflicts were a very serious issue to Paul. He wanted them to live together in peace. And to have the same mind. He tells them in verse, number one, in verse number 27 of chapter number 1. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come to you or I'm absent. I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. With one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Their unity was very important. In the midst of the opposition that they faced. As we, have, we see in verse number 28. To 30 of chapter number 1. It reads there, Not frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. They could not be able to stand against their opponents if they were divided amongst themselves as a church. However, more than just being able to deal with their opponents, their unity was important for them as a body of Christ. What distinguishes the church of Christ from the rest of the churches that you might find or any other organization that might be out there is the love, the bond of peace that exists between believers. Unity of believers was not only important to Paul, but it was also important to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He commands in John 13, 34 to 35, that we must love one another. And it is by this love that people will come to know that we are his disciples. He prays for us in John 17, 21, that they may be one, just as you, Father, in me and I in you. He prays this for us. He prays this for the disciples. He prays us this for the church, that we be one. Disunity and disagreements in a church are not good. They are a bad testimony for the church and for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot go out and preach love if we're not able to demonstrate the love amongst ourselves. Have you asked yourself why churches split? Have you asked yourself why some people in the church leave one church and go to the other church? Why some people in the church don't talk to the other person in the church? Galatians 5, verse, 29, verse 19 to 20, Paul writes and actually quotes this disunity, disagreements, and faction as being fruits of the flesh. 
We should be concerned if we see any such attitudes amongst us. As believers of the gospel, the gospel has demands on our lives. It is in light of this that Paul calls the Philippians to unity. He says, let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel. We cannot live contrary to the gospel because if we do, we testify against it. We cannot expect anyone to believe the gospel if we live contrary to the gospel. And that also can be measured by how we interact with each other. Those of us who proclaim to know the gospel, who hold to the gospel. All areas of our lives should always reflect the gospel. And our relationships and how we actually make relationships, how we keep relationships, how we interact with each other in relationships needs to actually show that the gospel is that beautiful. Disunity is bad. Conflicts are bad. And it's something that we need to fear and always run away from. Because it brings destruction. John Calvin said, when the church is divided, a door opens for Satan to disseminate wrong doctrines. This is real and it can happen anywhere. It can happen in this church. It can happen in, you know, within members of this church or any other church anywhere else. Therefore, it is important that we pay attention to what Paul has to say about this issue because we are also not immune to conflicts or disagreement as a church or as individuals. From verse 1 to verse 4, or verse 1 mainly, Paul is not commanding anything here, but only just starting by stating some facts, as we shall see in a moment. He is saying to the Philippians, as he writes there, so is there any encouragement in Christ, any, com any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy? He's saying, I know you might think you have reasons why you should, you're not getting along. But there's four things that he mentions here that he says, these are the things that should unite you as believers. Yes, you have your reasons, but these are heavier than your reasons. Whatever that you might cite, it's of less importance compared to this. He does this in the most gentlest way possible. We know when he's writing to the Corinthians, when he writes to the Galatians, there are times when he rebukes. But he writes to these Philippians in a gentle way. And he just only just points them. He doesn't rebuke them in any way. And we have seen in chapter number one, he actually just loves these people. He tells them, if you read there in chapter number one, verse three, you know, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for all for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. And it goes on and on. And you can just tell, he actually loved these people. And so even as he addresses this issue that is among them, he doesn't come, you know, rebuking them or, you know, fighting in any way. It comes in a gentle way. And it just points them to the realities or the spiritual realities in their life to saying, I want to call your attention to this. Look at this, and this should push you, should move you to unity. It is not that the, the four things that Paul mentions in chapter number one, in verse number one, 
are the only four things that we only have or the only important things in Christ. It's not that these are the only things that we gain when we come to Christ. Because he points them to what they have gained in Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 3 tells us that in Christ we have what? Every spiritual blessing. We do not lack anything in Christ. We have everything for us to be able to live the life that Christ has called us to live. So let's look at verse number one. It says there, if there is any encouragement, it starts there, there is a word that we would have if. What do we make of that, let, that word? Is Paul doubting that there is any encouragement in Christ? Is he doubting that we have any comfort from the love of God? Is he doubting that there is any participation in the Holy Spirit? No. Paul is not doubting or expressing some, any doubt here. This if, as we have it here, does not express doubt, but he said it's an affirmation. As one man said, if here is used as a rhetorical device to magnify the reality, it's a word that can also be translated since. It indicates the truthfulness of what Paul is talking about. This you have. Since you have this, because you have encouragement, because you have comfort from love, because you have participation in the spirit, that is how you can actually just put all those four things that he actually just mentions. So he starts and he says, if there is an encouragement in Christ, do we have encouragement in Christ? That is the question we can ask. Yes, there is encouragement in Christ. But what is this encouragement? The word for encouragement means edging done by someone close beside when you give someone encouragement, you are close by giving them support. You are cheering them on. You give them hope to continue. You are a coach telling them how to improve. Christ does this by the presence of the Holy Spirit, who is forever with us, our helper. Actually, the word in Greek for encouragement here is almost a similar word used for the Holy Spirit in John chapter number 14, verse 26, translated helper. We do not walk alone as believers, but Christ walks with us. He is alongside us, helping us to live the life he called us to live, even to live in unity. He did not only give us commands and left us alone. He always is there. He is always present to help us follow him. So with this first pillar that he puts there, he says, if there is one thing that should move you to unity, it's encouragement that you have in Christ. By this first pillar that Paul puts out there, he's saying to the Philippians, because you have encouragement in Christ, then you should strive for unity. You can strive for unity because it's possible for you to attain unity because the Lord Jesus Christ helps you. The Lord Jesus Christ walks with you. The Lord Jesus Christ is there to actually urge you to attain to this. You need to strive for one mind. You need to strive for that unity. It is possible to achieve this because you have the help of the Lord. What is there that God has called us to do 
that he doesn't help us to actually do it. He says, you're having conflicts. Look at chapter number four to Sintaki and the other lady. They're disagreeing. He says, why are you entertaining this? Is it that difficult to seek unity amongst you? It is possible to can attain to the unity if you desire it because the Lord Jesus Christ helps you. He is there alongside you to make sure that you bring out the fruit of that spirit that he needs to actually be seen in your life as believers. We're not on our own. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if you know you have that, which we know we do have, that encouragement, that aging, that support, that help, let's attain, let's seek, let's pursue unity as a body. Second, he says, if any consolation of love, comfort of love, Comfort refers to the ease from pain or grief done by soothing words or actions. It is solace. We all were in misery. If you are a believer here, you were in misery. You were dead in your sins. You were without hope, without God. But Christ came and comforted you. He poured out his love for you. Today, you can say you know the comfort of being loved by God. To know that whether you live or you die, you belong to the Lord. What is it that is there that can ever separate you from that love? The psalmist even writes, the love of God is even better than life. There is comfort in the love of God. More especially if you have been a sinner like myself and you know what it is like to be saved by God from your sins. To be given the hope of an eternal life. There is comfort. We were his enemies. But today we are called children, children of God as and co-heirs with Christ. None of us here is perfect, and we're not even perfect when we're saved. So what is Paul saying when he says it's the comfort? He's saying to the Philippians, you have felt this awesome love from God. You have felt this awesome love that Christ poured out for you. Since you have, then what effect has it wrought in your life? What effect has come from the love of Christ that you have received in your life? Shouldn't we be moved by the love that we have received to be able to show the same love to others? Why entertain conflicts? Why entertain disagreements? Why entertain fights amongst brothers and sisters in the same body? We should love one another as we have been loved. We were not perfect. Why would I expect anyone to be perfect around me? And cause fights, not necessary. Our unity must come from genuine love. The love that we have received is so big. We, we, will, we will forever be thankful. We will, we will be blown even more and more and more for years and years when we reflect on the love of God that he has for us. Sinners, enemies of God, 
loved, embraced, today called sons and daughters of God. Why can't we show the same love to others around us? Why would I entertain conflict with anyone loved in the same way by God? Paul is saying, look at what you have. That should move you to loving each other, fighting for unity, pursuing it with everything that you have. Christ said it's by this love that we, we, people will know that we have him and that we are his disciples. He even pointed this to us. He says, there, it's going to be that signpost for people. If they want to know who my people are, they will look at that signpost. It's the love you have for one another that people will come to know that you are my disciples. Why come and actually just paint it with other things? Where, people, where are people going to look if they want to see the way to Christ, they won't see it because the signpost will have been painted. You know when people go on the road and they you know, paint the, the sign that you have on the roads? Exactly the same. God has called us to live in unity. And the realities that we have in our life, we have gained. Make it possible. We don't have any other reason. Whatever reasons that we might have are not reasons enough. The third thing in verse number one, and I'm going to try and move through this very quick because I want to make sure with the time that I have, I'm still able to get to actually the, 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 uh, the, the other two, two, two verses, three and four at the bottom there. The third pillar, it says, any participation in the spirit. If there is any participation in the spirit, is there participation in the spirit? Do we have participation with the Holy Spirit? Yes, participation means just the common sharing or the fellowship. It says you have been given the same spirit who is at work in you. Galatians 4 verse 6, Paul writing, he says there, Because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We all, if we are believers today here, have the spirit of God indwelling us. He is the same Holy Spirit who lives in me and in you. The fact that the Philippians had fellowship in the same spirit should have caused them to be closer to each other as a body. Church, we are connected to each other by the spirit of God. Is this not reason enough for us to pursue unity? That we share in the same spirit and we are connected to one another through the same spirit? Christ saved us to bring us together, to bring us as a family to one body. Why should we entertain conflicts? Why should we entertain this unity amongst us? Number four. It says, if any affection and sympathy. The word used for affection is translated literally in the King James versions to bowels. It is the same word that Paul has used in chapter number 1, verse 8, when he's writing to them. He says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you, for you all with the affections of Christ, Jesus. You can also just put it there, with the bowels of Christ, Jesus. It, the, this word here literally means the internal organs. Intestines, your heart, your lungs, or your liver. These organs were regarded as the deep seat of emotions, such as love, 
and anger. So that is how back in the days people would express that feeling, the love to say, you know what, my heart does this. You know, so they use the word like bowel. Paul is asking here, he says, or he's saying here, if you have felt the affections of God, if you have, have felt any sympathy, then you should strive for unity. The bowels or the yeah, bowels describes here the tenderness that the Philippians had received. We as believers have all been recipients of the tenders messes of God. His compassion, his kindness, his benevolence, his gentleness, we experience that all the time. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says when he was reflecting on the compassions and affections of the Lord. He says, when I thought God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion, I smote upon my breast to think that I could ever have rebelled against one who loved me so and sought my good. God's tenderness towards us is always to do us good. His tenderness should change us and should challenge us. The affections that we have received and seen from God should challenge us and should change us, should actually weaken our hard hearts if we have any hard hearts. Make them tender also, that we be affectionate people. We can include here this other word that he puts for messes, which refers to the deep feeling about someone's difficulty. It is a concern for someone else suffering. When you have mercy or when you show sympathy, you, you actually concern for someone's difficulty. They're going through a suffering and your desire is to actually ease that suffering. We have experienced that in Christ. When we were in our sin, Christ did not just pity us in our state, but he acted to save us. God shares even today with us in our suffering. He walks with us and he carries us. He is for our good all the time and is always deeply concerned for us. Believers, Christians here, yeah, church here, yeah, we are the ones who have experienced the tenderness and the mercies of God. And because we have experienced this, we are the people who are supposed to be the most affectionate and the most merciful. Are we merciful when we see other people hurting? Among us. Are we deeply concerned for each other? Amongst us. God has given us to one another so that we can be there for each other in whatever seasons of life that we face. But let me ask you, what do you think would actually remain? What do you think would actually be left if we as a church bite and devour each other? Through conflicts through disagreements, through fights. We are to be characterized by tenderness and messes. If we do, if we are people that are tender, that are affectionate, that are merciful, that show this sympathy, we will not have any room to entertain conflict in any way. You won't have any room 
to actually just go out and, you know, talking stuff that is not supposed to be spoken. I won't have time to actually want to pull away from my brother for reasons that are only about me and me. There won't be any need for that. And that is what the four things that Paul points them to. He says, you have encouragement. You have the comfort from love. You have participation in the spirit. You have received the tender mercies of God. That should have been reason enough for you to actually just unite. And up until now, Paul has not commanded anything. He has just stated the facts. He just states the fact. says, since you have this, all of this, this is what you should be. And he comes to verse number two. He says, if you have all of this, make my joy complete. Verse 2 to 4, he tells them, how can they have now this unity? Verse 1 was facts. Verse 2 is what should now result from the facts. But before he tells them the how, he gives them the last motivation. He says, me. Complete my joy. Complete my joy. You have all of these things in Christ, yes. And I want you to be united, yes. Christ wants you to be united, yes. If everything fails, it's okay. Not really okay, but just do it for me, at least. Just do it for me. It's like begging these guys, just do it for me. He loved these people. And he wanted, them to, see, he wanted to see them winning in their walk. Chapter number 1, verse 3 to 4, like I read, it, when he was praying for them, he said, I, pray, I make my prayer with joy. But here he comes and says, my joy is not complete. Complete it. This unity was preventing his joy from being fulfilled and, you know, fully completed. He says, make my joy complete by dealing with this last issue that I see amongst you. Paul loved the Philippians and his goal was to see them conform to Christ. In chapter number 2, verse 14 to 16, down in this chapter we're in here, he, say, he, writes to the, he writes about them, he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of the crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He did not want to think he ran or labored in vain. He says, do it for me so that my joy can be complete. Whether I come to you or I'm absent, I may know that you are standing firm in oneness and striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Church, it pleases those who serve you, who serve us, those who labor amongst us, those who preach and pray for us when they see fruit and grace of God in our lives. Paul desired the same for these people. And he said, if there is nothing else, not that there isn't, but if, you know, just do it for me, because I would like to see that. And he desired, and he says, so that I can know at the end, even on that day of Christ, I can stand confidently knowing I did not run in vain. There has been fruit in your life. Complete my joy. It grieves those people who save us, our pastors, our leaders, 
if we do not actually bring out the fruit, when we do not imitate Christ, when we actually, you know, um, take sin lightly, when we don't take our growth seriously, it grieves them. Because they're there pouring out their life, praying and preaching, Sunday in, Sunday out, throughout the week. And they want to see and they desire to see that fruit. And this is the same desire that Paul had. And here now he was appealing just based on the relationship that he has. Knowing that they loved him. They had even sent gifts to him. He says, I know you love me. Just do it for me then. At least that is good. You would have dealt with the sins good. Just do it for me. It's okay. How can they do this? How can they achieve this unity? How can we achieve unity? It mentions five things. I mean, this could have been just another sermon by itself going there, but I'm trying to pack these things together just to with the time that we have. The first thing it says, by being of the same mind, in verse number two. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. If we will have unity, we must think the same things. By being of the same intent or purpose. If we are of the same purpose, then we, there won't be any reason why we should be pulling in different directions. If we are of the same intent, we cannot be pulling in different directions because we're going where everyone is actually going. But what should inform then our thinking? What should inform this same-mindedness? This same-mindedness is only possible by the truth. The word of God that is applied to our hearts by the Spirit. Believing and embracing the same truth as a church. We need to allow the truth to shape us as we live and grow together. As a church, driven by the same purpose, the same passions, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. If we are a church for anything else except for Christ, then we will then, those things that has brought us to church will then find ourselves pulling in different directions. If I'm here for me, I will fight for me. You will be fighting for you. And what happens? We clash. Let the truth of the word of God shape us. Let the truth of the word of God allow us to think together, to be of the same purpose, driven by the same passions, and above all, just wanting to see the Lord Jesus Christ glorified in our lives, in the area where we are, in everything that we do. Second, it says, by being of the same love. Church, we cannot emphasize this enough. It's love, love, love for each other. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Mark 12, 31. Self-sacrificing love will not entertain disunity. Will not entertain fights. I already said in John 13, 34, that the commandment that the Lord Jesus Christ has given us is to saying, you are that signpost, the love that you have there. If people are going to know you are my disciple, it's by the love that you actually just have for one another. If we love each other, we will not entertain conflicts, period. Fights are driven. Conflicts are actually, you know, pushed by what? Love for self. I'm going to hold on to my position. 
If it, I'm not, you go, I'm gonna hold on to my position, and we find ourselves doing that all the time. You know, he must let go first. I'm not gonna let go. He must let go first. No, it's not like that. We are supposed to be loving, and self-sacrificing love is the love that we have seen and shown in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we're just gonna see now when we get to like verse five towards the end. Third, he says, by being in full accord and of one mind. Simply put, we must be connected in soul. In Christ, we are one, and we should really live like that. Thinking and feeling the same thing. Our mind sets on the same things. And that is Christ, saving Christ and saving others. I've already said we have the same bond in the same spirit. We are connected to each other in the same spirit. Why can't we live like that? Why can't we take this and let it be the one thing that drives us? Because we are. If we're going to spend eternity and we say, we're looking forward to getting to heaven, I'm going to heaven, yeah! You've been in heaven with the same people that you're fighting with. Why want to fight with them and you think you're going to jump with them when you get to heaven? Why not pursue unity while you're still here on earth with them? Loving each other. And showing the world that Christ is beautiful and the gospel is beautiful. That people with different everything that you can have. Talk about race. Talk about language. Talk about whatever ethnicity that is there. Christ is able to actually just take out all of that and it makes us one. No Greek, no Jew, no Gentile, no slave. No all of us are the same in Christ. Save the same way. Love the same way. That is the beauty of the gospel that we have come to embrace. We all can be accepted. We are all accepted by God the same way. We are of, to be of the same accord. One mind, living together side by side as a church, striving for the faith of the gospel in this place where we are. It says, do nothing. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Self-ambition means acting for one's own gain, regardless of whatever this cause it may cause. When someone loves himself so much, he does not care what problems might come, what problems he might cause, as long as I have what I want. That is me fighting for my right, even if I don't have a right. It's a word that was used of people who would be hired to go fight war for pay. He does not care whether this political party says this or that political party says this. As long as I killed 10 people, he said I must kill 10, give me my money. I don't care what happens. Morality out. God commands this. I want what I want. That is a problem. That's a very big problem. It means looking out for only one's own interest above others. We, we, we all love ourselves. And I think all of us love ourselves to some degree. And I think because we know we all love each other. And there is, you know, I think it's one of the things that we need to always guard against in how we interact with one another. Because it's easy to fall into this scene of driving for what you want. Because you love yourself so much sometimes. He says there, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Vain conceit refers to pride that has no basis. It's pride that is empty. If we are believers, 
What pride do we have? What should we be pride, pride, why should we be proud in any way? There is no reason why we should be proud. In ourselves, what do we have? Nothing. It means thinking too highly of oneself. Paul is saying here, if we will have unity, if we will have oneness of mind, we must fight for, we must not fight for our way. We must not think of ourselves more than we ought to. We must not think of ourselves more important than others. Do you like being the center wherever you are? Do you like people thinking that you're awesome? Church, we must watch what we say of ourselves. We must watch what we say about others. We must watch what we say about our abilities, about our achievements. And we must never compare ourselves to other people. If you want to compare yourself to anyone, compare yourself to God, then you will come to where you really belong. Five, he says, instead, instead of being proud, instead of being all about you, put on humility, count others more important, let each one of you not only look to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Paul just flips the coin here. He says, put others first. That's basically it. Just put others first. Church, do we desire unity? If we do, let every one of us here think about his neighbor first, all the time. Consider others. Consider their needs, consider their feelings, consider their situation. Listen to what they have to say. Respect them. Do not fight for your way. Give them a chance to speak. Listen to how they're feeling. It's not always about you. It's not always about me, me, me. Unity comes when in humility we consider others, carry their burdens, Desire to show the same affections and sympathy or messes that we have ourselves tested even from the Lord. Humility is a deep sense of one's littleness or low view of one's importance. It is the opposite of pride. He says, don't be proud. Pursue this. Put on humility instead. A person with pride makes himself the center. He wants to be saved, right? He wants to be heard. He wants to be put first. He looks down on others. If we all lived like that, we, all, we are bound to have conflicts because at some point our egos would come and clash. Our desires will clash. And then what happens? We are destroyed by ourselves. A person with humility does not claim anything for himself. He does not fight for his right, even, even if he had a genuine right. Instead, he puts others first. And who else could have demonstrated this for us except the Lord himself? He had every right, but did not fight for his right. 
5. True humility has been demonstrated for us. If we want to know how it, is, it looks like to serve others, let us look at what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Verse 5 to 6, Paul turns and he points us to Christ, says, look at him. Have that same mind as was in Christ. We must have the same mind and the same attitude as was in Christ. You may ask, so what mind was in Christ? What attitude was in Christ? It was one of humility. It was one of self-sacrificing love. One to serve and not to be served. Christ, though being God, he did not hold on to his right. He willingly subjected himself to the will of the Father and came as a man. He came in our likeness, subjected himself to all our experiences because he loved us. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Matthew 20, 28. We were dead and without hope, yes, and without God, but in his life he chose to leave his heavenly seat. He came and lived a life we failed to live. At the right time, he died on the cross the death we deserve to die. And because his payment, God, because of the payment of his sin, God accepted that payment. And because he accepted the payment that he had made for our sin, on the third day, God was pleased to actually just raise him from the dead. He rose from the grave, triumphing over death. Today we proclaim salvation because of his finished work. The life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. Today he sits interceding for us, saving us still. And because of this, because of everything that Christ has done, listen to what verse 9 to 11 says of this chapter number 2. God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those in who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Oh, that we would desire the mind and the attitude of Christ as a church. Let us not be proud and self-seeking. Let us shun disunity and all disagreements, motivated by self-love. Let us be ready to serve others and not to give up and, 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 and not to fight for our preferences. We need to be willing to put, our, put away our preferences. God has loved us that much, and we are that bride that Christ is going to come. We are beautiful. And he just continued to make us more beautiful. And we will glow and glow and glow and glow. And perfection is coming for us. God is working in us. He's encouraging us. We need to actually pursue what he has called us to do. Unity. Because we need unity. There is opposition everywhere, church. There's opposition everywhere. We're reading about Tajikistan. The brother, oh, the brother, they beg, see the reading, sorry, brother. <laughs> I mean, the stuff that is happening, there's opposition of the gospel. People are opposing the gospel. Our brothers and sisters are being persecuted everywhere. 
It is by love that we have, not only just for us, but for them, to pray for them, to be in our closet thinking about them, saying, we know, we share, even in everything that they are just going through. For the same affections and messes to be awakened in us, even as we see and read something like that, that would come and be on our knees and pray to God for their comfort, for them not to forget the comfort that is there in Christ, for them to be reminded of the beautiful words that Paul pens down in chapter number 8 of Romans. What is there that can separate us from the love of God? Is death enough? Is trouble and trials enough? No. We are beautiful and God loves us. We have every resource to achieve whatever that God has given us and has commanded us. He walks with us every day. If you are saved here today, God is at work in your life. And desire to find yourself pleasing to him. And rely on him to help you. And together we just need to be unified. Working together. Loving each other. Walking side by side. Encouraging each other all the time. That is what we are supposed to be doing. It is by this love that people will know that we are his disciples. Let the whole of Rustenberg know that there is the bride of Christ. At that corner so and so. The people there are amazing because of how we live. Let us not speak and live contrary to the gospel we proclaim. It's a beautiful thing to know that we will all of us die if all of us here are saved. We will die and go to heaven and we will rejoice before our Savior together forever. That is our hope. If I'm going to be in heaven... With believers and the same, the believers that I'm going to be in heaven with are the believers that I'm with here. Why can't I just enjoy them even right now, even more? Save them even more. When there is pain, save them. Why want to save them when there is no more pain? Let me save them and prove my love for my Savior who has come and has died for me by being alongside them. While the same Lord Jesus Christ is alongside all of you together as you walk. We will die, but we will be in glory together. So let's live like that. Let that glory be in heaven. That is, let it be in here on earth. In how we live together, in how we love one another, in how we are united as a church. That we will not entertain any conflicts in any way. As individuals and as a church as a whole. It is possible because Christ encourages us. He is there to help us. To obey. But if you're sitting here and you're not saved, there is no hope right now for you on your own. You are living in sin and, uh, and God's judgment hangs on your head. Let me tell you, Christ humbled himself and came and died for your sins too. God's justice demands that you be punished in hell forever. But you can be forgiven if you trust in Christ's completed work. His death was enough to pay for your sins. God only accepts Jesus' sacrifice and he's alone. You do not have to do anything to, to be saved, but only to trust and obey. God is pleased to forgive you and to accept you and only because his son paid the price for you. You need to come today if you are not saved. To look at to Christ and trust only in Christ. This completed work. He lived the life you failed to live. He died the death you were supposed to die. He rose from the grave. So that you could have life in him. 
only if you turn away from your sin. There is no hope for you if you're going to stand by yourself. He is calling all the time. He is calling all the time. Come, come. Be warned if you are not saved. If you will not humble yourself before him. He humbled himself when he came. He will humble you when you stand before him in judgment. You will stand before him as the judge one day and he will condemn you in hell forever. And that's why we would call you all the time and the gospel is preached saying, repent from your sin. Stop living for yourself but trust in Christ. And to all of us as a church, let us love one another. Let us live in peace and let us pursue oneness of mind. Shaped in us by the word of God. It is by grace that we have been, you have been saved. And we should not boast in any way. Let us come and leave every day our houses to come here desiring one thing, that unity. Coming to learn the word of God. Coming to fellowship. To serve even others. Let us love one another. Let us serve one another. Let us pray that we all should not fall into the sin of discord or harbor any attitudes like that. If as an individual you might have been struggling with entertaining disagreements and other things related to whatever that I have mentioned, God is kind and he forgives us for our sins. To go back to him and to repent from the same sins to say, Lord, please forgive me. To repent from that and to turn from that way and to pursue unity, to be the promoter of unity, to be the promoter of love, to be the promoter of mercies in the church. God loves us as his people and he wants us to depend on him all the time because he's there to help us. Let us always be dependent on God, church. It's possible to live the Christian life because God walks with us. Oh, how difficult it would be if we were to do this by ourselves. But God has given us everything that we have and everything that we need so that we can live the life that he calls us to live every day. And now let's go to him in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, O oh God, Father, that we do not have to do life by ourselves. Thank you that we did not have to die for ourselves. But Lord, that you were kind and merciful when you saw us, O oh Lord God, Father, just in our misery, you chose to send your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and, and die for our sins, to save us, O oh Lord God, Father, just from our destruction. God, we thank you that today you have made us into one body and that all of us as believers are connected to one another everywhere, wherever we are. Lord, we ask that you would help us to live in love, to live in unity, to pursue unity, to love one another, Lord God, genuinely so in a self-sacrificing way, the way you have loved us, O Lord Jesus. I pray, O God, Father, that we would trust you because what you say is true and that you are God who does not lie. 
thank you for for this word and thank you for for this church oh lord in the wonderful name of our lord jesus christ amen